This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. That is Jesse Temple. You can tell he's from The Athletic. If you're watching on our YouTube page, he's all teamed up. He's got the hat. He's got the jacket. This is the stuff you're missing if you're not watching on YouTube. Please watch on YouTube. Please subscribe on YouTube. We appreciate it. We also appreciate you subscribing wherever you're listening as well. We also have jumped on another trend from 15 years ago and opened an Instagram account. So if you want to check that out, we'd appreciate it. The Camp Podcast. We post some videos up there as well. And one more thing before we get into the show. We are brought to you by, in part, by home field apparel check them out they have the best vintage officially college officially licensed gear that anybody is making i've got some stuff on the way i'm going to show off the next time we do a show can't wait for that really good stuff there homefieldapparel.com and use the code camp 23 and you get 15 percent off your first purchase all right jesse let's get into this the badgers ranked number 19 in the AP poll to start the season. I know that's the biggest story of the day. Everyone's talking about it. No one's really talking about it, and that's fine. But 19th, does that sound about right, since we know very little about any other team as well? I'm just thankful that I don't have to vote in these because I know zero about the other teams, and I imagine most of the voters do as well. But, yeah, it it feels about right to me. This was going to be a top 25, top 20 program. A lot of it's based on what people think they know about the past and what they also think could be the future. A lot of change, but there's plenty of talent on both offense and defense. So it doesn't surprise me that Wisconsin opens the season as a top 20 team. Yeah, I mean, look, they inherited a lot of talent from the previous coaching staff. I still believe that. I don't know how much talent is here. I think it's I think it's a pretty talented team. 2023 was always going to be the year that I think Wisconsin, a lot of people thought Wisconsin would be able to make another push. Now, a lot of the guys that they thought might be here are no longer here, but that's just, that is what it is. They've been replaced, I think by, you know, some pretty good players in their spots, but 19th kind of sounds about right. They're one of five big 10 teams in the poll. Michigan's number two. They got a couple first place votes behind number one, Georgia, Ohio state's number three. They got one first place vote Penn state also in the top 10 at number seven. And then you have Iowa at number 25. So as it stands to open the season here, Wisconsin has just two games against ranked teams, and they both are at home, Ohio State on the 28th of October. I believe Iowa is two weeks earlier on October 14th. So, again, I don't want to point to 2017 because I think there are some similarities in terms of the schedule, in terms of the teams that you play. Like that year, they only played – I mean, they got Michigan at home. And it was kind of why I felt good about going and saying they're going to be 12 and 0. I'm not saying that about this team, but I feel good about the hitting the over when it comes to wins, just based on the schedule alone, especially their two toughest games, at least on paper, being at Camp Randall. I wrote a column in July 2017 on why Wisconsin would go undefeated. That team pick them, did though. Not- that team them. did not have to play Ohio State. So, uh, but there's a lot of reason for optimism, obviously, but all of this is just based on preconceived notions and assumptions because like we've been saying we don't know exactly what this is going to look like when they're they're full go and I would point to that three-week stretch in October the Iowa game at home on October 14th then they got to play at Illinois and then they've got Ohio State at home at night those three teams in particular had defenses that ranked in the I think it was top 15 nationally last season in total defense and both 
Illinois and Iowa had top 10 pass defenses. So to me, that's the true big 10 grind of, all right, you've got this new up-tempo offense. What's it going to look like against those grinded out type of teams? And that's a good question we, that we don't know the answer to. And I'm looking forward to seeing this offense in action against somebody other than Wisconsin's defense. It's all we've seen for the 15 practices in the spring and the eight practices we got to see this fall. And, you know, it's the defense when you're playing against it every day, you kind of begin to know what's coming. And so it's really just then if you make a play, it's kind of like you're making a play, even though the defense kind of knows it's coming, it just accentuates how good of a play it was from the offense to be able to get it done. And then we've seen, we saw that a, a lot, I think, especially in the final two practices that were open to the media, the offense making some plays, especially on the outside. But yeah, I, just, I, I look at that schedule and I think if Cade McNamara got hurt, which he did, he's a little dinged up, the eye of a quarterback. Do you know who their quarterback would be that day against Wisconsin? Deacon Hill? Is it some guy named Deacon Hill? It is some guy named Deacon Hill. A guy who I'm a little still a little drunk on his ability, his throwing ability, his arm strength. What? You know, you do that and you make me think like <laughs> you're about to say something about the kid. But no, I know what you're saying. Sometimes oh, you get intoxicated with arm strength and, and kicking. I should have, I should have, should not have done that before. Yeah, no, I. I have no idea what Deacon, whether he's good, whether, he, whether he's a drinker or not. I have no idea. I have no clue. I'm, I'm talking about myself. When I think about Deacon Hill and I think about that arm strength, I'm getting a little drunk on it, getting a little tipsy on it. But the greatest thing about this would be if he ends up starting a Big Ten game, my take is then somewhat okay and somewhat right. I said last year on Kenny and Heilprin that uh, <laughs> he would be the starting quarterback at Wisconsin one day. And that proved to be absolutely completely wrong. But a starting quarterback in the Big Ten, I feel like I can hang my hat a little bit on that, wouldn't you say, if he ends up starting some games this year? The fact that he's their backup is kind of crazy. It is crazy. Uh, no, I won't give it to you. What? <laughs> because you you didn't but say he, it. He he's going to be, be starting at, at Wisconsin West over here, okay. right? Like what Wisconsin used to be. That's the exact what Wisconsin was. So I feel like, I feel like that's Wisconsin West which makes it Wisconsin-ish, which makes the take okay. This feels like a six degrees of Kevin Bacon type of situation. Um, <laughs> look, if it happens, maybe I'll give you 10% credit. Right now, though, Cade McNamara's team, uh, barring something catastrophic, which I, I know he got injured in that open practice, but still a few weeks to go before the season. And obviously those two teams don't play till October. He just tripped over his own feet, it looked like. I don't know if you saw the video of it. There was – he was – he – stepped up in the pocket and started running and it looked like he tripped over the, the Iowa midfield logo and just went flat down on his face. And I think like he stayed down and I think maybe the defense was like, Oh my God, is he just embarrassed because he just tripped over a line and it turned out that he obviously did something to his muscle in that, that area. Who knows? I don't think it's anything serious, but it's, I believe to the same knee that he injured a couple of years ago that, that cost him time. Uh, I think he tore his ACL a couple of years ago. So either way, Deacon Hill, quarterback at Wisconsin in for in uh, what two months from today? Pretty close, yeah. I think that's right. This is the fourteenth of of October, so got that going for us. But yeah, only two ranked teams on that schedule. You have to feel pretty good about that if you're Wisconsin, just in terms of the challenge that you're going to be facing here in year one. That's not to say that some of these other teams might not jump in. I mean, Illinois 
went from unranked to ranked pretty high last year before their collapse. And I certainly think, you know, I guess you could say Minnesota would be a possibility at, at some point this year. They could get in there maybe late. Anybody else that stands out? I mean, well, I don't think Washington State's going to be ranked in, in week two, but I, I I don't look at that schedule and say, yep, this team, this team, they could all be in the rankings. There's not a ton of them on there. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is, if I'm not mistaken, Wisconsin's opened the last three seasons in the top, what, 18, ended up unranked. Uh, well, you know the last time they ranked, they opened the season 19? What do you got? 2019. Last mm-hmm. time they when last time they went and won the Big Ten West and played in the in the Rose Bowl and finished, I believe, higher. I think that's the last time they finished higher than they started. So got that going for them, which is nice. I believe this is the seventh straight year that they've been inside the top twenty-five. Last time they were not in, inside the top twenty-five, I believe, was twenty sixteen, and they jumped like all the way to like number ten after they beat LSU in that, or maybe not 10, maybe it was 12 or something like that, after they beat LSU at Lambeau Field to open that season. Now that schedule was loaded. I mean, and very like early loaded, like at Michigan State, home to, Mich- or, uh, home to Michigan and home to Ohio State or something like that. No, at, at Michigan State, at Michigan, home to Ohio State. It was just a crazy start to that conference season. And they ended up winning one of those two games, one of those three games. Gave Michigan and Ohio State quite the fight that year as well. But this year's team was on the field on Sunday for a scrimmage, scrimmage-ish. We didn't get to see it, but we got to talk to the quarterbacks afterwards, and it sounded like Chandler Mordecai felt they they did uh, some pretty good things, especially in the red zone. They had He said they only had one turnover, which uh, appeared to be a batted pass that was picked off by a defensive lineman. Those type of things happened. But he felt overall like it was a pretty good day for them in the offense. Bill Longo felt the same thing, uh, that Tanner Mordecai really put the team in good position. And I think we've seen that particularly as practices, the open practices moved along, that it just seemed like he was getting more consistent, better and better. And you could say the same thing for Braden Locke, who had some turnover issues in the first week, but just continued to work through them and given his receivers a chance. So that's definitely encouraging. I, I thought it was interesting when I mean, Phil Longo, he pulled out his little play sheet and he was on the back of it. There were some handwritten notes and he was talking about how he called a play that he said was was stupid because it put Braden Locke in a bad spot. And to me, that was just interesting because it highlighted like even the coaches who get paid a lot of money to do this make mistakes. And um, so if they're going to make mistakes, then so are the quarterbacks and they're throwing it a lot more. So like we've said multiple times, there are bound to be more issues when you're throwing the ball as much as they are. But I, I do think that they've done a, a, a much better job here of late. And that's got to be encouraging given how frequently I think they're going to be passing the ball. Yeah. If you want to hear Phil Longo's full comments, you can find them up on our YouTube page, the entire, it was like 15, 16 minutes. So you can check that out. Um, in terms of Tanner Mordecai and Braden Locke, it sounded like, it sounded like, Bryson Green had, I know we're not talking about necessarily the quarterbacks, but they mentioned Bryson Green and what he was able to do specifically on a pass that apparently I guess was called out of bounds, but Tanner Mordecai thought it was a catch. But I I continued to ask questions about Bryson Green because it's just so fascinating because we didn't get to see him in the spring. And then we saw him these first eight practices and there were just so many individual little bit of plays that stood out. And it's like, that has to be so tempting for a quarterback. And so I, I asked, Braden Locke, what's your level of confidence when you're throwing in his direction? Because we don't think that it's 
a 50-50 ball. In our opinion, we don't think it's a 50-50 ball when you're throwing his direction. He said he's the ultimate confidence. And he went on and talked about how if he's in single coverage, he's open. If it's man-to-man coverage, he's open. That's just the way we feel about it. That's the way Phil Longo feels about it. And he finished his answer, and then you asked him a question. What was the question you asked him? I said I was something to the effect of, so you're saying that a 50-50 ball for him is more like 80-20 or what? And he said, well, it's definitely not 50-50. And I think you can see that from the playmaking ability that he has and also just the confidence that those quarterbacks have. You throw the ball up for him, he's going to go get it. And it's not even when it's one-on-one. We've seen situations where it's one-on-two and he just rips the ball out of the air. It is, It is a physicality that is a little bit different from the rest of the wide receivers. And I'm really interested to see how they use these rotations and how often these guys play because they can all be playmakers in a little bit different way. But that is something in particular that stands out because it is something that they can go to against in Ohio state or, or the best teams on their schedule. You've got to have that kind of guy. And we saw that in 2019 with Quintez Cephas. And I know we've made the comparison here before, but players like that, I don't think we've seen come along a bunch at Wisconsin. And when they do, they can have great success. They definitely can. And it was not, Phil Longo wasn't comparing him to DK Metcalf, a guy who he coached at Ole Miss. He coached a lot of really good players, a lot of really good uh, wide receivers during his time as a college coach. But DK Metcalf was one of them. And you, anybody that has seen DK Metcalf or seen him play or knows about him, knows how physical he is. He's a big guy, very big guy. And while Phil Longo was not comparing the two. He said, I'm not going to say that they're the same guy or anything like that, but he does some DK Metcalf-ish things in terms of his physicality. And I that has to be very exciting for fans to hear. And I, I think he is going to end up being when it's when they need a play, when they need when it's third down and it's tight quarters, it's in the red zone, especially. He is going to be a huge weapon. I think he's going to be the biggest weapon in the red zone for them. It doesn't feel like a stretch to me based on what we've seen. Uh, The good news is they've got a lot of options. And because this offense is able to spread out a defense, that can create some matchup issues because when we talk a lot about the wide receivers, they still got Braylon Allen back there that you have to deal with as a defense. So uh, that just makes everybody better. But Bryson, and some of this has to do with the fact that we, didn't see him in spring practice so if i imagine if we saw this in april for 15 straight spring practices we would still be enthusiastic about what he's going to bring but because we didn't have a chance to see it until these last two weeks i think that makes him even a bigger story yeah where do you think tanner mordecai has taken steps i know you asked him a question about that where he has taken steps during fall camp and how much more comfortable he is with where he's at right now as uh as the quarterback of this team Well, he said he's played in an offense like this his entire college career. Obviously, he was first at Oklahoma, but SMU the last two years, they were slinging it a lot. I think it's the little details. And then there's terminology that's going to be different. But the amount of time that he spends with Phil Longo to make the right reads and make the right decisions, those those would be the the things that stand out. Because when you get to his level and where he's at, it's not about the issues you may have if you're the third string quarterback where can you throw the post route in the same spot every time it's the really advanced details and it sounds like Braden Locke is there too because that was something that Phil mentioned as well the things that they are having discussions about are very technical and advanced so that's really what separated both of those guys 
but that's what it's going to come down to with Tanner. If you want to take this offense and this team to that next level, I mean, can't, can you do the little things that are going to separate you against the best teams? It's going to be a good thing to keep an eye on because we know the statistics against the better teams at SMU was not always probably where he wanted it to be. And we know that was the same case with Graham Mertz here at Wisconsin. So does it matter? This is a question for you. Does it matter what he does against Buffalo? Does it matter what he does against, you know, not Golden, not Washington State, because I think that defense is going to present some stuff. So I think that may give us a little bit of an idea of what he can be consistently. But it, doesn't it have to be like, don't you have to be like, hey, do this against this type of team and I'll be on board? Or are you on board already? I'm not going to say I'm totally on board right now, having never seen him play a game against a Wisconsin opponent. I, I think what we've seen leads me to feel pretty confident in what he can do with this offense, with the variety of weapons that he has, assuming he can take care of the football. It doesn't, I won't say it doesn't matter. I mean, if he goes out and has a great game against Buffalo or opens the season again, non-conference play and looks really good. Like, those are encouraging signs. Like he throws, like he throws five touchdowns and has just one incompletion. Yeah. Yeah. Those type of things. Maybe the worst thing that happened to Graham, but that's for a, another, another discussion. Um, in the moment, it was unbelievable. But ultimately, this is if we're if we're opening the show with the team in the top 20 with the team expected to win the Big Ten West, then what matters is what you're going to do against that premier competition. So, of course, that's how you you should be judged, just like you judge a basketball team in the postseason or, or down the stretch. That's how this season is, in my mind, is, is going to be judged, even though it is a it is a long game here with Luke Fickle and the staff for Tanner. He's only here for one season and he's only got this one shot. So absolutely. You, you're going to be judging him on those big moments. You mentioned Braden Locke and we've talked a little bit about him. That was another question for him, right? Like how is he taking this season? How is this season going to play out for him? Because he, he knows Tanner has one more year and he's put himself in a very good spot to be the guy next year, but I don't think he's necessarily just focusing on that. Right. Yeah, this is a story that'll be running on The Athletic here this week. So thank you sorry. for the segue. I was going to say good. sorry. I mean, I'm the one who asked him a question. So um, it's, uh, yeah, first of all, if he's not a coach after his playing days are over, I'll be shocked uh, just because of how intelligent he is and the way he talks about football. But he's really introspective, too. And because he's so intelligent, you can see where things are headed. And I think that's kind of the premise of what my question was. like. You're very clearly the number two guy at this point. The guy in front of you is only going to be here one year. Do you view this season as sort of like an opportunity to show that you're going to be the future here at quarterback? Because he's going to be a redshirt freshman. He'll have three more years. And he acknowledged that certainly that is a part of the thought process, but that doesn't change how he's going to prepare. And some of this may sound cliche, but I think it is kind of the mindset that you need to have when you're in his position because like he said, how many times have you seen that you can be one play away from all of a sudden being the guy? So he's got to go in there and prepare like he's going to be the starter and, and go back over the years at Wisconsin where you had a backup quarterback play because you needed him due to injury. Uh, it happens a lot and not just at Wisconsin. So because he and Tanner have elevated themselves to a point where the things they're talking about are so much more advanced, I think that's a good sign with him. Unlike Tanner, 
He hasn't played in college. So he's got a bunch of touchdowns at the high school level in Texas, set records for that, but he hasn't done it here. I do think he's shown a, a lot of growth and development, even though he had a slow start to fall camp. He got a lot better over those last few practices. I, I think that's fair to say. For sure. Talk about the injury-wise. I mean, it's happened almost every single year. It happened last year in the Minnesota game. It happened the year in 2020 in the Minnesota game with, with uh, Graham getting knocked out. Jack Cohn was beat up throughout 2019, ended up being able to play every single game. But 2018, you had a couple different quarterbacks, 17. Alex Hornibrook was able to play most of those. 2016, they used two quarterbacks, and Alex got knocked out of the Minnesota game that year and it led to Bart Houston playing in the championship game or starting the championship game and, you know, playing throughout the entire thing. Joel Stave got knocked out of an Illinois game in 2015. It it has happened almost every single year at some point, you know, in the last decade or so they've needed the backup to come in and play. So broken nose get... in the holiday bowl, by the way. Yes. So you never know. You never know. Bart Houston came in on and played in that game too for one series, I believe it was. And then Joel Stave, who, for anybody that's unaware, I believe it's the all-time winningest quarterback in Wisconsin history. I'm pretty sure he is. Pretty sure he yeah, is. Yeah, that should be an exclamation point, not a question mark. Boom. Boom. All right. That's my exclamation point on YouTube. If you're not watching, you can't see it, but I'm putting it in there. So it's happened almost every single year. And so I would expect to see Brain Lock at some point this year. You know, you're knock on wood that Tanner Mordecai is able to stay healthy, and that's the way it is. But it just hasn't been the case throughout the last 10 years for Wisconsin. I don't think an offense change in offense is going to necessarily change that. So there were a couple other things with the quarterbacks. Nick Evers spoke and did you get a sense in talking to him that he's at all frustrated with where he is, not just on the depth chart, but just in terms of reps that he's been able to get. Yeah. Because I asked him whether this was frustrating, which is oh, obviously kind of a okay. loaded question. Um, but I mean, he acknowledged this, this is frustrating. I think, he also talked about this is kind of a position that he's been in his whole life where he's had to be patient and put in the work, um, something that he certainly did in, in high school as well to get to the level that he ended up being at. He talked in the spring about how he maybe didn't put in the, the time necessary going into the, the spring to put himself in position to succeed. I, I think it's got to be frustrating from the standpoint of the talent level that he has. And I know I keep coming back to this and we've discussed it many times. If you have a chance to see him at some point, you will understand why, because the athleticism, the arm strength, everything is there, but the, the lack of knowledge of what he needs to do in specific situations in this offense is what's holding him back. It's something that Phil Longo has said. I don't think it's for right now for a, a lack of effort. I just think some people have that innate ability to pick things up quicker than others. And I think he will get it over time. We have to remember that he's coming into the season as a redshirt freshman. He threw one pass last season at Oklahoma. So he's got a really high ceiling from a ability standpoint, but there are just those other things that you've got to be able to get to play in any offense, but certainly in this offense. And it's something that Longo keeps going back to when I ask him a question about miles Burkett too, that he talks about how we are just blatantly honest with our guys in that room about what they're not doing and what they need to do. So I do think it's got to be frustrating for Nick and He's the number four quarterback right now. I, I don't don't feel like there's any doubt about it based on what we've seen. And certainly things can change in these couple of weeks before the season opener. But Miles always got the three reps and occasionally got twos if Braden struggled. But I think there's a clear delineation in the top four quarterbacks at this point. 
I think there is too. It's going to be tough because now yeah. when you get to the season, especially with his skill set, he's going to be playing, I, I would think, a lot of scout team this year as you know, the guy's going to give them looks. I mean, him and Cole LaCrue probably going to spend a lot of time down there, which I guess is good and bad, but you know, he needs to work in Wisconsin's offense. Doesn't right. he? I mean, I, he doesn't need to do things with the other, but to help the team where your best, where your best value is this year, it's going to be probably on the scout team, but. Right. And I talked to Cole LaCrue and he said that he had just had a conversation with Longo about him being the scout team quarterback. Now, I don't know. I don't know what that means and how you divide up reps, but obviously when you get into the season, you know where the snaps are going when you're getting ready for games and it's not going to your number four quarterback. I did think it was interesting that remember we saw Cole in a sling in the spring. He said that he suffered a labrum tear in his left shoulder, which is his non-throwing arm shoulder, but he played through that his senior year high school, won a state championship there. And then they got surgery once he came here as an early enrollee in February. And he said, he's actually not yet medically cleared to do everything. I mean, we we've seen him like, Every once in a while, he'll get a rep in a just routes on air type situation. But he said he's still trying to get the rotation back and that you wouldn't necessarily think that, like he said, you would think you'd be fine if it's your non-throwing shoulder. But because of everything that goes into throwing the football, it's still a work in progress. But I thought that was interesting. And I, I did not know that, that he hasn't been medically cleared. And I'm, I don't think it would have made a difference here in this camp to come in at this point, but somebody that wisconsin recruited committed under the previous staff and frankly i think fits better in this offense because of his skill set for sure there was one other thing that phil longo talked about at least from my perspective that was notable and that was the number three running back job in terms of who it's going to be we know Chez, we know braylon we know braylon we know Chez, kind of a 1a 1b type of thing and then it may be by committee behind them right i mean he's said that jackson acres done some good things katie akamelli's done some good things and maybe you're fitting them in different spots based on what they do well, as opposed to giving everything to them. Based on what Phil said, it's going to be potentially situational, uh, whatever you need in that given down and distance and what the skill set is of both of those guys. Now, from what we saw, I feel like Jackson taking the reps with the first team offense when Ches Malusi was sidelined is a good indicator of where they believe Jackson is. But when Ches is healthy, then that's going to cut down on your opportunity significantly. And maybe it is a a 50-50 type of split. But I think it's encouraging that both of those guys have done enough here in camp and the spring as well to show that they could be potential contributors. I just, I don't think it's going to be all that frequent given how good the top two running backs are. Yeah, for sure. Got to talk to the outside linebackers on Monday, including uh, outside linebacker coach Matt Mitchell. He gave a little bit of a nugget on some of the Sunday stuff and, what happened in the scrimmage, including something on CJ Getz? I asked Matt a question about Daryl Peterson, and the, the premise of that was just you're losing Nick Herbig. Uh, you got a lot of stats to try and replace. What are your thoughts on Daryl and trying to occupy that role? And before he got in the answer, he, he wanted to make sure that he talked about CJ Getz and said that in that Sunday scrimmage, CJ had a couple of sacks and really had a significant praise for how much CJ has improved as a pass rusher. And Daryl Peterson said the same thing about CJ. So I think he goes overlooked in this defense, probably because he's not the flashiest player, but he's put up numbers. He's played a ton. And if he can have a bigger impact as a pass rusher, certainly that makes that group, that front seven, a lot better. 
Well, he's going to be a vital part of the dollar package, being that guy Absolutely. on the line. And and because we know, and that was really what was talked about by the former outside linebackers coach, Bobby April, was he is easily our best run stopper. He said that last year. I don't think that's changed. He's just really strong in the point of attack, but that's a little bit different position to do it from than it is as an outside linebacker. Now you're still taking on tackles no matter where you are, but being a little bit further in the trenches, he's going to be counted on significantly in that package. And obviously there's some other guys that'll be in that role as well, but him for sure. What you're essentially asking your outside linebacker to do is go from being an outside linebacker to a defensive end because they go from the three point stance to two point stance. Um, Not always, but that's something that we have seen, especially in that, in that dollar, right? Other way around. Two, two points, point stance, two, three points. Point Easy for me to say. Um, they've got their hand in the ground, and um, I think that's a role that suits him well. Certainly, TJ Bowlers as well, and Jeff Petrowski is another. One. Well, all four of them really. Daryl Pearson, they've asked to do as much as anybody, but Petrowski, we have to remember, was a defensive end at Michigan State, and two years ago when he was healthy, finished with five and a half sacks and was second on the team in sacks at Michigan State. So it's a good group. I think it may be a little bit more of that by committee situation to try and replicate what a Nick Herbig did but that's okay. That doesn't mean you can't have a lot of success. So you went position by position coming out of fall camp, the eight practices we got to see to kind of assess where things stood. I don't want to go through the entire thing, but just from your point of view, what position is in the best spot coming out of the eight practices that we got to see in fall camp? If you want to give one or two, that's fine. I'm not going to make you decide because i know you're a little bit of a flip-flopper and, and can't really oh. zero, zero in on things and don't want to just really coming at it. me here uh not at all i stand my ground firmly and i stick with it no matter what through thick and thin for the entire year yeah. uh I, mean, I obviously feel really good about having seen the wide receivers and the, the playmakers that they have and i don't know if it's going to end up being six i thought that was another thing that phil said in trying to determine you know who's going to get what maybe it's five receivers that get uh the bulk not i mean i again don't know what that looks like but you've got to feel pretty good about that top six that they rotated in like it was a hockey line um because we just haven't seen that before so i think that stands out to me and if we're just going top line defensively safety and inside linebacker um the top three at both those positions they're all starters even if you're only going to have two guys on the field and granted in that dollar look you're gonna have three safeties on the field but Kamoi Latu, Hunter Wohler and Travion Blaylock all looked very good and with inside linebacker um here's another nugget from the outside linebacker conversation is Matt Mitchell unprompted gave a shout out to Jake Cheney because he said he's been so impressed with what he's been able to do as a pass rusher and everything that he that he I mean he has had a monster fall camp and it's going to be tough to take reps away from a, a Muma Jongmeta or a Jordan Turner and w- when we've seen it um you know, maybe Cheney with, with Jung Meta or something like that, but they, he's going to get a lot more snaps than he did last year. So those are a few that I, I would feel pretty good about, especially top line. Maybe we'll do season props later on, but I feel very good right now about my early, early pick of one of the inside linebackers being the leading sacker on this team. And if I had to pick, I probably would go with Jake Cheney just based on him as a rusher, but I wouldn't put it past the other two in terms of Muma and Jordan Turner. I don't know that it's going to come from the outside because I think they're going to be rotating a bunch of guys from out there. I don't know. There's ever, there's not a Nick Herbig there. There's not like a TJ Watt or a Vince Beagle or anything like that, or a Joe Showert that's going to just stand out above anybody else. So that might be a little, that might be a by team, or I should say a by committee approach in terms of the pass rush. Cause I think they're going to use different guys for different things. So 
I feel good about the inside linebacker room, especially when it comes to getting after the passer. The other side of this, coming out of these eight practices, which one is still a little bit of concern? I know we talked a little bit about that on the show when we did the Q&As, but that was depth-wise. What, what are you thinking coming out? What, what's the position that still has you, hmm? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it, it's not that I don't think that they can do it. I think it's, I mean, if we're talking top line, how good – I wonder about tight end. Um, it's mostly because we haven't seen it. That doesn't mean that they can't, but Riley Nokowski has never caught a pass. I know that he can. He's caught a bunch this this fall uh, and the, the spring as well, but he's been getting the number one reps. Hayden Rucci, I think, has been very good in his role. Jack Pugh, Tucker Ashcraft. But these are guys that we have not seen on the field. Jack Pugh, we've been talking about for a couple of years but hasn't broken through Tucker Ashcraft's obviously a true freshman. So if you've got it, let's just say that's your top four. The only one that's really significantly contributed at the position is Rucci. So it's not that I don't think the talent is, is not there. It's mostly just, we, we haven't seen it in a game. We haven't seen it in the game. The, the one guy we were expecting to be there this year, or the two guys I should say that had plenty of experience coming back was Jack Eschenbach and Clay Cundiff. And we now obviously know they're not going to be there. Clay Cundiff announced on Twitter on Sunday the reasoning behind it. He's retiring medically because of all the surgeries that he's had to go through. And it probably isn't just, you, you maybe know this more than me, but it's probably not just the last two years. It's probably been throughout his entire time playing football where he's been had to fight through a lot of things. But the last two years, obviously, the ugly looking injury against Iowa in 2021 and then the uh, not as ugly, but just as bad. Uh, injury against Ohio State where you know you lose those two years and it's fighting to come back and it's just a little bit much and so he is hanging it up and good for him to you know know that there's something past football but I'm sure it had to be tough oh absolutely with how much time these guys put into it and when the speculation train always runs rampant when you hear that somebody's no longer with a program but the first thought that I had and I imagine a lot of people was he just has had to deal with so much. This has to be injury related. And I don't know what percentage health wise he would have even been in coming into this season. They held him out during the spring, but two consecutive season ending injuries. That is a lot and really gruesome, difficult recoveries. So um, not tremendously surprising that this is why, but I have to imagine it was extraordinarily difficult to come to this conclusion. Yeah. It's unfortunate really talented kid that I think had he not gotten hurt would have helped that offense significantly last year. We saw it in a little bit that he was able to play how valuable he was to Graham Mertz as a guy he could just find whenever he wanted to. They were obviously really good friends, roommates. And so unfortunate that uh, Clay Cundiff's career uh, comes to an end, but some talent at that spot for sure. That is still young and we'll get to see how it plays out. By the way, Graham Mertz, Starting quarterback at Florida, just just throwing that out there. I know everyone knows by now. I've kind of been surprised at all the hate that he's gotten on social media from Badgers fans. It's like I don't get it, but I don't, uh, I don't understand it. I hope he kills it. I hope. Yeah. Look for everything that did not go right on the field, and a lot of it didn't. He at least publicly. I don't know how it was behind the scenes in the locker room, but at least publicly took the blame for all of it, and so even though it didn't go the way that he wanted to and his career didn't go the way he wanted to, 
I can't do anything but respect the way he handled it, at least publicly in front of the media. He owned it. He owned it every time. Even when it wasn't his fault, he owned it. And so I hope he kills it down there. I don't know if he's going to. Feels like a little bit of an upward, uh, you know, an uphill climb, but I hope he kills it. I have no nothing but respect for him for what he was was off the field and, and to the media, even though by the end of it, it was a lot of canned answers. And that's just what it was by the end of last season. But that's to be expected with what they went through. He at least came and showed up every single time. I certainly understand from a fan's perspective, the disappointment of the expectations, him coming in and not meeting them. That's a challenge. Um, But to wish somebody ill will, especially a college kid who's putting as much into it as he is. I, I, I don't understand it. I think he will have success in that offense, but it remains to be seen either way though. He had to make that transition and earn a starting job and he was able to do it. So, Hey, best of luck to him. And, uh, he did as much as he could at Wisconsin. It just was never going to meet the expectations unless he helped him to the college football playoff for a Big Ten championship. And there were a lot of other reasons for that, that it didn't come together either. I mean, three offensive coordinators in three seasons, uh, they fired the head coach. I know he contributed to that, but uh, we're moving on now. And uh, hey, best of luck to Graham. We are moving on. Just a couple of weeks now, two weeks from Saturday, the Baptists will open against Buffalo. We'll be back soon. Jesse, thank you very much. Exactly. All right, there he is, Jesse Temple from, as you can see, The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.